0: Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Marie Allard, who is the founder of Planimal. I'm gonna introduce Marie and Planimal right if we hit our sponsors. We're gonna be right back and jump into it. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like After Hour Triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Care. Center Franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check, Pet Urgent Care Center Franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80 where I talk to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting you, reach out and learn how you can own your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So who is planable? The short answer and I always love grabbing this from websites and I think your website does a great job Marie. It's the short answer is they're veterinary architects who care.
1: We that do a, care.
0: That, that's great, right? Like that is exactly what, if I'm someone that is looking at trying to figure out, okay, I know I need to get a building. I know I need to do these things. I'm trying to figure out what you do. And how as a consumer do you judge if someone's good? It's like, okay, they care. Now I can figure out what their expertise is. But I think that's really important. I love that. But
1: I'm going to give you a little secret. So when we do say we care, so it's when I was brainstorming on how, what I wanted to do with life and stuff, I always been a very passionate person about people. So we do care about animals and we do that for animals. But my main focus is not the animal in the uh, hospital. It's the human inside of it. So my whole goal by doing this is to, if I can support the staff and the people within the animal hospital, their life is going to be improved and then they're going to take better care of the animal that are sick or in need of some some care. So while I do say that we care, it's yes for the animal, but it's mostly for the human.
0: Yeah. Well, in, so you started Plantable a little over seven years ago, right? And... It was not
1: branded at the time. It was okay. just me doing on the ground. So
0: <laughs> yeah. I have a
1: very, very, very weird story about how I started doing this. So I did my first veterinary design about 10 years ago. And because I spoke English, so I come from a place in North America that we speak French. So my boss at the time, they had a former client that uh, the a very big US based architect that was coming up from for a veterinary referral hospital. So he was looking in the team to see if someone spoke English to go to that meeting and to get our client like the support they needed. So you look at me say, Do you speak English? And I said, Yes. So I'm fresh out of school, don't know really what I'm going to do there. But then I enter a room and there's like seven veterinarian there with that US based architect. And so I started working on the design and kind of being very creative. So again, I'm a very passionate person about people. So I started listening to them and answering questions through my design. And we ended up not using the US-based architect and just using me as a young architect (laughs) doing that. So that was my first project. I started on the biggest of them all, like, you know, a big referral center. And then I started doing one and then another and then another, and then I had my first child. So seven years ago, so I said, "Hmm, why not? just do veterinary clinic so I wanted to have like a very you know be able to take care of my child and do that kind of on the side and then it became bigger than me (laughs) and since we have a different approach of how we are designing hospital and supporting people inside the hospital I did my whole master degree on how people relate to a space so when we do get a client I want to enter their thoughts process and how they're going to work in their hospital so I can support them better so yeah it was a total chance (laughs) sorry I was off topic the initial question so I started this thing seven years ago but just branded it three years ago because I saw the need for people like my team we're a team of 10 people 10 amazing people that are truly passionate about doing something different in the industry. And the industry really needs it in this world of, you know, mental health and kind of difficult time with true COVID and all. So we're really proud that we're making something different.
0: Absolutely. No, that was perfect. One of the things that as the non-architect in this conversation, right? So when you walk into a space or like, I've been fortunate enough where I've traveled overseas and you see something and you're like, wow, this space is amazing. Like you have a feeling about it. That's us. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Help me understand how designing a space brings that out. Because if you're going to work in a space and let's say, yeah, I do feel better in this space. I'm able to do my job better. I think you know where I'm trying to yep. ask the question. But again, I don't know how to phrase the question exactly <laughs> right. But how does a space make me better at my job? I guess it would be the question.
1: It's a complicated thing that is called genius lossy. So it's kind of how every element in the space is relating, like when the perception of the space, like the 3D perception of how you relate to a space, it's how it's going to make you feel. And every space is designed. As an architect, I'm trained to work on your spatial recognition and how you're going to go through a space, where you're going to go, what you're going to see. We're kind of, we're shaping everything, like not just architect, but urban designer and such. So when you're in the city, it's to all different scale. But in the end, we can make you feel at home in a space or feel you not welcome. Like, let's say you, t- you take a human hospital. So when you go to a human hospital, there's some part of the hospital that you would say, mm, I'm not sure I need to go there. I'm allowed to go there. That's architecture. There might not be a like, do not go there sign, but you don't just don't feel at ease. So that's just combination of special layout and like lightning and like colors and there's a million small things um, how we can work on the space to make you feel welcome so when you enter a restaurant or an hotel or any space that make you feel oh my god I feel great here it's because it's been thought about those feelings so it's funny because it's always something that I when we do a first kickoff call with a client I always ask them, like, give me images of things you like and that make you feel good. And that's what we're going to try and make your hospital feel you. Because, you know, we spend a lot of money on our homes. Like, you spend a lot of money on your living room and, like, you want to be cozy and you want to have a good design. But we don't do that with our workplace. And we spend, like, 8, 10, 12 hours there. So why not? That's where we are trying to shift the rational of, you know, you need to spend not enormous amount of money but you need to spend some money to get your workspace efficient and beautiful and welcoming so that you feel good and that has a lot of impact on how you're going to go throughout your day. So to answer your question I don't have like the secret sauce I think all architects like it's intuitive I'm a very intuitive person so I like I know what's going to be there and I need to have that drywall and like this color there and I don't don't know how I do it (laughs) or my team do it but we just know
0: <laughs> there's an art and a science to it i guess is what you're saying right there's some that's like hey you have to design towards welcoming but then there's also a feel for okay i've had this conversation with this individual and i know what they're going for this fits the bill because i think that was one thing that i remember from chatting before where you talked about half of what your business is is just helping people plan and if you're going to build it from scratch like how do you do it like how do you actually kind of walk through that process i think is interesting
1: what are the craziest thing about my work I have the best job ever okay because I can't be all the job I want okay so when I ask like when we start a project with a client I always say like I'm not the one working there you need to explain to me how you're working and I'm going to make the space work I'm a translator I translate what's in your head into a floor plan most of my clients they have an idea I would want to have I don't know a beer keg in my office why not I'm there to support your idea. They might be crazy. They might be very normal. But sometimes I'm going to challenge you in your idea and trying to push it a little bit further. When you want to break the mold, when you want to have new design or try things. Like the veterinary industry has not changed in the last 25, 30 years. It has been the same since forever. So right now we're seeing the newer generation trying new things and I'm there to support them. So when someone say, hey, I had this thought, maybe if we try this, so we could try this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, we can make it happen. We're going to create a space that is going to support that thought. We could combine this services with this services and have a, a room that could function with both because you're not sure if you're going to have a rehab space that could function as a community space that could function as a behavior room that could function as a puppy training class. I'm there to support ideas. So yeah, I'm a translator for my client's ID. Like vision, it's really, is coming back to the vision. What's your vision for your clinic? The first meeting that we have with a client, we just speak about where do you want to go? Not like I need to have four exam rooms, one pharmacy and a lot. I know that we need that. I'm just there to tell them like, yeah, but where are you going in five, 10 years? What's your problem that you're struggling with? Why do you want to do this? Like, I want to sell my hospital. I want I have my daughter, which is in vet school. I want her to have a new hospital. Like, I have million reasons, but at the end of the day, why are you doing this? This is why I want to have this cleared out so we can do a better hospital for you. Does that answer?
0: Sounds, <laughs> yeah, no, it, honestly, it sounds like a lot of, when I think about Vince here and our financial planning process, a lot of those same questions, a lot of that same dialogue is exactly how we're walking through something with someone as well. It's like, you have to start with the end in mind. If you know where you want to go, but it's like, hey, the path is a little blurry, but I know this end result is over here. That's important because if we know where we're going, we can tie back all the decisions we want to make today to why we want to do that. Instead of saying, hey, should we do this or this? It's really hard if we don't know at the end of the day why we're trying to get there.
1: And we're trying to get the veterinary industry to think. So to take a step back and to just reflect on what's your background and where you're going. So that's the biggest challenge I have right now is to get the client to sit down and say, hey, I know you're struggling. You have no more space. Like you're bursting at the seam. But there's like four options. Like most of the time people don't know that they have options. So when they come to me and say, hey, I need to expand my clinic. And I'm like, okay, okay, hold on your horses. Like Can we renovate? Can we relocate? Can we build? Can we lease a new space? There's like millions of options and we need to decide which option is the best for you. So I do have a lot of clinic that we have to take that small step back in order to remove all the what-ifs that can make a budget blow off, that can make, that create a lot of uncertainty. So I'm trying to educate my client, potential client, I'm doing a lot of conferences on that because it's important to think where you are, what are your problems, but also how we're going to evolve in time. If not, we're just going to solve our problem that we have today, probably creating a lot more because when we fix one problem and not fixing the other, then we're creating a lot of other problems that we didn't know. So having that little kind of step back and say, hey, let's figure out all our problems, all our vision, and then go forward with that. It creates a better project, like it creates a project that is strong, and it has you know, kind of a good foundation.
0: I know you talked about one of the biggest challenges. Well, actually, what do you think has been biggest challenges in conversations with folks? Is it, you know, they're coming to you too late, too early?
1: It's getting better. I'm so proud of my future client. I, I do have a lot, a few clients that are on lookout for spaces, and they, they reach out to us and say, hey, we really want your because we do have like most of the veterinary specific architect have a waiting list for three to six months. Like we're depending on what time of the year, but right now we're not booking project before next spring. So it's kind of, it's hard when a client comes to me and say, I want to start tomorrow. I cannot, (laughs) I do have other clients that I need to go through. It's a process. And sometimes there are delays that we cannot foresee. There's permitting that can take forever. There's, certain towns that have certain regulation that we have to work around. So the sooner you involve your team into that kind of brainstorming session, it could be kind of just an hour to get the bearings. And one of the challenges I see with clients is that they don't know where to start and they don't know what are the steps. So we do architecture, but we also do project management. So I kind of, we started offering that services to kind of help the client build their project. It's not just a construction project, but everything that revolves around it. We have great partners in marketing and such. When we do those kind of projects, it includes a lot more than just Hammers and nails and construction materials. It has an impact on the whole structure of the team and how, you know, are we doing a rebranding? Are we doing like some clinics? They need to have those talks. So when we do them early, we can help them set the stone, like again, foundation stone of we know that we're not going to get the space or the land or we're not going to build before next spring, but maybe we need to go and think about the rebranding or refresh of our image or having a social media strategy to go with or new build or there's a million things that revolve around the construction. So by planning ahead, we can make sure that one we have the team that we want because again, there's nothing that break my heart more than someone that say, "Hey, I need to have a space and drawing done by next month." And I say, "No, my team is not able to cover that." So that's one of the things that is the hardest in the industry, but by planning ahead, and I can make sure that they have the right knowledge. For example, a new client came to me and say, hey, my landlord is my future landlord is asking me about the electrical panel power. Like, is that amount of amp is enough? I have the knowledge. I can help you answer those questions. The thing is that I like that my client don't feel alone in that process because we're there. We're not actively involved in your project, but we're kind of just there on the side and kind of walking along with you, helping you understand what's the whole process look like so we can take you from point a to point b and then we make sure that you have everything you need and the vision is fully realized at the end
0: yeah so you do the design work you're then helping alongside it but you don't have the construction side like that's other partners that and that helps you be able to build in different areas can you talk a little bit about that because i think that's interesting
1: so we do project all over North America and like the construction market is different, different state, different part, like Canada and the U S they don't work the same. So we decided not to, team up with a construction company to stay independent because one that allows us to have a over-specialized approach so that we can work with any construction company. So let's say that you're in I I don't know, a rural town that you have a local builder that is very, very good. It's your uncle It's someone, you know, from 20 years, then we have the knowledge to help him build your hospital. So by not being attached to any builder, We don't have a builder that have super knowledge. Like we can get the knowledge through any builder so that they can help you with your hospital. And having the builder local is really important. One, to support the local economy. You know, most of our vets, they're very involved in their neighborhood. So that's really important. So me, yes, I'm coming from afar, but I'm helping you build a team that is going to support your local build with the knowledge I have. We do team up with other architect sometimes when we, they're already in place, we kind of, we are specialists coming into the team. But yeah, so that's why I have not partner and we're not in the lookout to have the construction side because I think our clients are better served by local company and neighboring, like someone from the community to help them build their hospital.
0: Love it. Can you talk a little bit about some of the financial conversations decisions and things to consider when you go through? Because obviously, this isn't an inexpensive project, regardless of how they're going to do it. But let's chat a little bit on that because I know that's a tough one.
1: I would say that we're not, yeah, the cost, COVID does not help. Like costs have been on the rise. We're seeing right now that the market is kind of stabilizing, but I feel that on the money side it's always the toughest conversation of them all. Like we have very fun meetings when we talk about design, colors. Oh my God, this is going to be so amazing. Look at that. But when we talk money, sometimes it's getting hard. But it's important that the team that was selected for your project are able to walk you through those tough conversations. So yes, maybe we're going to be over budget, but we need to have a team that is looking towards solution and helping you get towards that budget. And by budget, I'm not talking just about the construction costs. So that's another thing that that's what I've started doing project management for my clients, that there's more implied in the construction. So there's IT, there's furniture, there's decor, there's equipment, like there's a bunch of things that revolves around that needs to be planned ahead. So when we're doing a new project, I'm always very, very keen on having a project budget very early so that we can have those number out, get your financing with the right amount. And that's probably not the number that you want to see. (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, hey, we're going to try and get under a million when it's a million and a half. Like it needs to be out there and it's a very tough conversation. But if your team cannot have that conversation with you, then that's not the right team because we need to be working. And I do understand that we have some clients that have sets, like I do, let's say that we have a potential client that say that I have a half a million dollar for this project. So I'm going to say, yay, okay, we're going to design with this, but this is not something like this option is not possible. I'm just going to be very straightforward on what's your real expectation towards the design. Like some clients come to me and say, hey, can you do me a, Design as stand. vet, I would say, yeah, do you have the money or do you want to put that kind of money towards the design? Some clients want, some clients don't. So it's really a matter of having those tough conversations very early on and set the expectation so that at the end, when we meet that initial budget, because we're going to meet it unless there's something happening, then we're going to be happy. So set expectation about the budget very early on.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And then can you just talk about maybe like the order of operations of how those conversations usually go? Like, should someone show up and say, hey, I have X to build with? Should they talk to you to get an idea to take back? Like... Is it the chicken or the egg? Can you kind of walk us through that? It, it, and does it depend? Yeah,
1: it depends on a few things. So it depends on if we know what we're going to do. So we started a few years back doing more and more feasibility study, okay? Because most of my client, there's two types of client in the market right now. There's the new startup, like the build up. I'm starting an hospital from scratch. So that, there's not much decision to make. We, you need a space. We need a square footing. And then we can build a budget based on square foot and some other metrics based on other projects. So I'm taking a lot of metrics from other projects to build a project budget. So that's my one client. And then the other client is an, ex- an existing hospital that probably don't know where to go. Like, So we started doing that kind of first step with those clients that have multiple options. Okay. You have an hospital that has been there for 25 years. It has a lot of challenge in their layout. They probably have the space within their hospital, meaning that they might have boarding at some point and then they stopped doing boarding. So they have a lot of space but it's like everywhere in the clinic. So with those hospitals they don't know if they want to expand oh can we build from scratch? Can we relocate? Like there's so many options. Which one is the best? And there's always like what if if we build new? How much? What if if we expand? How much? What if? So when we do those first step of feasibility studies, that we entertain all options. So I'm taking their project. I'm listening to their vision. I'm doing everything I do. It's the same process for every clinic. So when I'm having a client doing a vision exercise, it's not related to their existing space. It's related to what they want to achieve in time. So. When I'm getting them to do their vision, then I'm taking that knowledge and applying it to a new bill. If we have a new bill, this is going to be that many square feet. If we're expanding the clinic, we need to expand by that many square feet. If we're repurposing the existing clinic footprint, this is the services we can get inside. So by having option, the client can make better decision. Because some example of that is that, let's say that I have a client that have a vision of... I don't know, adding a services, a rehab services, he wants to have a underwater treadmill, then that's a revenue stream. So when I'm giving them back option after the feasibility study, they can see, okay, if we build from scratch, build a new building, I'm going to be able to have the physio room that will have that underwater treadmill, and that's going to be that much revenue for my clinic. So we can compare those costs for a project to whatever revenue that can be generated for the new space. Oh, if we expand by this amount, it's going to cost this much, and I'm going to have that many exam or more. Oh, that's that much more revenue. Oh, I can have another vet, or I can have this and this services. So it's always a matter of giving them option, and then reapplying that to their kind of reality. Like some, I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. <laughs>
0: This is why the (laughs) podcast is. I joked before we recorded. I was like, you're going to do most of the talking. This is exactly what it's supposed to be. Keep going. Don't let me slow you down. So
1: yeah, so that's probably what most of my clients aren't like. When I do meet with a client the first time, most of them are like deer in the headlight. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And it's totally normal. Okay, I'm going to take that minute to just say to everyone listening, like, this is totally normal. You're totally normal, not knowing what's best for your hospital because you don't have the knowledge. You're stuck with your floor walls and the way it's designed right now. But when I'm getting a project and I'm looking at the floor plan, I'm like, this is the problem. This piece it, should be there. And like... For me, it's really, 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 really easy to see where the problems are. But for you, like you've been living in that environment for I don't know how many years. So you're too close to the three. So by doing that step before, it helps us plan and remove all the what-ifs. Like, Let's say that we have a clinic that decided to expand their existing building. They will not think, oh, what if I had built new? We would have eliminated that option for... X, Y, Z reason, because we don't have the land, because we're in a neighborhood that we don't want to leave, or because the building we are in right now is in a good shape. Like I have a clinic that we just moved into their new building, and like when we entered into two options, extending the existing clinic or building from scratch, the existing building was too old and too damaged to be salvageable for anything. So I would have spent more money when we looked at the two budget for doing new, it was like a difference of 200000 which is not a lot of money in the whole scheme of things. So for the client, that was easy to pick one option over the other because we would have completed the project with an old building, expanded with all those bizarre things for about the same amount that a brand new 8,000 square feet, state-of-the-art clinic, more exam room costs. So again, I think my goal, my, my goal in life, is to give vets option when you are in a setup that you have an existing clinic. So for those clinic taking that time to reflect on where they're going. So when we do that step, we're not jumping ahead in drawing and design. We're kind of, okay, we're going to brainstorm for a month and then we're going to select which option. And then I'm going to go ahead and design things. So we do that kind of brainstorm and then we go to design phase phase and then drawing phase, kind of getting the tender and the permit set. And then we can go for construction. So it's a process that takes maybe, depending on how big the hospital is, but I'm about a year with my clients when we do a project between eight months to a year. Some are longer than that, some are shorter, depending on the scale. But yeah, it's a process that takes about a year.
0: Yeah, perfect. Thank you. One thing you mentioned, and I think it ties into what you just talked about is having tough conversations, whether it's around finances, whether it's around your options, saying, Hey, your budget is this. And I don't know if you're familiar with the champagne taste and beer budget conversation, but it's like, well, i something really fancy, but I can only afford X. It's like, you need to have kind of some, a dose of reality at times and conversations. So how have kind of tough conversations around these topics with people helped like foster, build trust, build relationships, any stories, examples Thoughts on that?
1: I just had one conversation like this this morning. So (laughs) for a new build. So Mike, we're a little bit over budget and like we're not overseeing construction for this client. So the builder sent us a list of things that he's going to remove from the project. So I told my client, can we speak? Like this is like major. I'm not totally sure of where we're heading with this. So we sit down this morning and we just started about how great of an impact is going to have on the design? Because you know, I my role is kind of selling a dream. So when we're working on the drawing, we're getting those beautiful rendering out, those videos. Oh my God, this is so beautiful! And now we're going to kind of remove things from that. So my discussion with the client was this morning was that there might be other ways. Can we work together to find alternative or? kind of do a compromise in the middle. So those tough conversations for me, is always trying to find the common ground and the compromise. So maybe we're going to delay some of the work or some of the finishes. Maybe he's going to do some of the work himself, like, you know, installing wallpaper and such. Like we're going to try and break down the problem into smaller pieces. So there's some tougher conversation when like, for example, we went for tender for an hospital that is an existing hospital that we're expanding. The market is tough. Like the client had a very tough time trying to find a builder to do the, it's in a rural, like just outside of a big city. So it's kind of everybody's focused on the big city and not on that smaller town. So we had a very hard time to find a builder and then we find one, but it's like one time and a half the budget, but there's like no way we can cut more. Cause we went very, very, very low on the finishes and like, There's not much I can remove. So he went back to financing. He had no choice. He went back to his accountant, look at this number. At the end of the day, the clinic could afford that extension. And for him, it was like, if I don't do that, I'm going to lose my staff. So it's a project that was started before COVID that then stopped and then started. Like, it has been a few years that we were working on that project. So it was even more distressing So at the end of the day, he went back to his accountant and say, hey, I need that much more for the project. And we had to do it. It breaks my heart because I know that there's like inflation and like COVID tax and this. But at the end of the day, he decided to do it for his staff. And that was the most important part. And I think that's one of the key things. Why are you doing this project? Is that just to sell your hospital? Or is it because you want your staff to have a better environment? So that's it becomes to the why and the vision where you're heading with this. So yeah, tough conversation, but we need to have them. It's a safe place. When I'm sitting down with clients, it's always like, this is your safe place. Like this is the only time that you're not a vet. (laughs) so we can be talking. I always tell my client, like, do you want to be my friend? Because I'm going to call you next year. Just ask, how have you been? (laughs) It's a very intimate process to be talking about finances and how the clinic is going and how the staff is working in the clinic. So yeah, we just need to have tough conversation.
0: I think that's applicable in a lot of other areas too, but especially here. Um, (laughs) uh, Fun conversation or fun question. So think about, a freestanding building, what's the most unique structure that's been kind of repurposed for a veterinary clinic that you can think of that has been fun?
1: I'm currently repurposing a ballroom into a referral center.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, a lot of restaurants. They are pretty tricky to, to convert. I do have a lot of old houses like it was a small house and then it was expanded like four times. Like, yeah. At some point I'm like, if we had more than three expansion, that's not salvageable. Like we have to start from scratch. It's too, too (laughs) too far out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. But yeah, either have like very old space and we found like very beautiful space, like an old building. Like, urban areas that have very old buildings. So I'm doing a few right now that have, you know, we demolished walls and we found like murals, painted murals out of the like 1920 murals. So that was really interesting.
0: Very cool. I believe, and I'll confirm after I should ask you before, I believe I've been in one of your designs that is a freestanding building that was repurposed from something different. And it was awesome. Just... <laughs> For listeners. And I'm going to confirm, I'm 99% sure that there's a seat of doubt as I was like, Ooh, I think this is right. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, it was really cool because it was definitely, it did not feel like a veterinary hospital at all.
1: I think that's one of the biggest change that is coming up in the market. We were known a lot with FenVet in Alberta with Dr. Creelman. So Cody had this vision of doing something that is out of the norm. And I think he just is proving that when you're designing for your staff and you're designing for something that doesn't feel as an hospital, it is, at the end of the day, very, very comforting for the pet. So we're designing a fear-free hospital with Michael Shirley for Family Pet Health in Tennessee. And it's a very fear-free hospital. But Michael and Amy had this vision that the pet would feel at home. So kind of all of our exam rooms are going to be kind of out of the norm, kind of living room or more of a, it's a home. Like we want to reproduce where the pet feels less stress and is probably at home. So again, having that feeling, that nurturing feeling about the space, it's not the matter of the floor finishes. Yes, it's important to have, like, I know I have a lot of my competitors say that, We need to have this type of flooring. We need to have this type of wall. This is really important, but more important than that is that do we have good flow? Do we have a good ambience? Do we have, if people are not stressed in an environment, so are the pets. Like if the staff is not stressed, if we don't feel that there's a rush everywhere, then it's going to create that environment that is welcoming. And the pet feels that, like they know. (laughs) They're even more like, most of the time the client's, comes to the clinic stressed because their pet can be stressed. But if we can ease that stress from the client, it's going to be beneficial for the pet at the end of the day.
0: What do you think most veterinarians miss, don't think about, get caught off guard when it comes to expansions or building projects? And maybe you've already touched on this, but just one of those questions I wanted to throw your way.
1: I think the importance of interior design in your life, how having again, a nurturing space is so important and how important your staff is. Veterinarian in the last 25 years have been the worst for one thing. They are building from within. So they are going to repurpose space inside their hospital to an extent that people are going to eat lunch in the treatment area because they have no other space. So that's one of my things. So I'm adamant in doing designs that you cannot use the staff room for any other thing than to be a staff room. For me, supporting the staff when they enter to work, like, you know, you enter by a door, you have a locker room, you have your staff room, you can put your lunch, you can put your coat, your boots, your purse, and then you go to work. It's important because again, if you have happy staff, if you have staff that are eager to go to work, they're going to perform better and it's going to be a better environment. So it's all the matter of how sometimes it seems like it's square footing that is wasted. But at the end of the day, if your staff is more efficient in their way of getting into work, it's going to show off in your appointment books. It's going to show off everywhere else in your hospital. So I think understanding how crucial the staff is to a hospital is a key for an expansion or rebuild. I would add, so if you're looking at an expansion, that's going to affect your current flow. I do have a lot of clients that say, okay, we want to expand this hospital. This is our only option, but we need to expand on this side only. But then I say, why? And it's because, I don't know, they have this idea and then we end up kind of shaking the mold. And I have a million options to one problem. And sometimes I'm like, Marie, you need to stop because you have too many options. But at the end of the day, it's going to affect your existing clinic. So we cannot just expand the clinic. This is really hard just to say, hey, we're going to open up that door and then transfer Unless we're transferring a whole department, like surgery, for example, but if we're tying into an existing hospital, it's hard to say we're not going to touch the existing hospital. The proof of concept is that I had a client maybe two years back. He said to me, oh, you know, he had a, a commercial unit, like two commercial units, and he was adding a third one. So, you know, easy peachy, we're just going to build a third one. But then so the first design that we did, we were touching like 5% of the existing clinic, just to say that we were tying in. And then I was listening to him and he was like, okay, I have problem with my x-ray. I have problem with my pharmacy. And this was all in the existing clinic. And I was like, you're telling me that we're going to spend that much money on the expansion and not fixing what's wrong with your existing clinic. So you see where I'm not a good person if you don't want to Think about the whole clinic as a whole. Like it, <laughs> it's an entire living thing. If you're adding a branch, it will affect what's inside. It will change how the staff is going to work. Sometimes it's going to make it worse. Sometimes if we're doing an expansion there, then they are going to walk like forever <laughs> into getting. And that's another thing. When we do expand, renovate, relocate a clinic, it change how your staff is going to work. That's one of the, I think, the most underrated thing in a clinic is that how it's going to affect your staff so part of my (laughs) one meeting we're like okay we need to prepare people so that they have to change their behavior like a clinic that has been working for 25 years like with the pharmacy just behind the reception and kind of just opening the door and say hey I need help in front that might change if we're relocating or we're expanding or we're taking a 2,000-square-foot clinic and we're putting them in a 6,000-square-foot facility. The distance are going to be different. We need to change our way of working. My God, I don't recall what was the question at first. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you answered the question. It was basically what do people not think about? It's a conscious of stream of thought of this is what you're not thinking about. Yeah, the one thing that I love that you said is if someone calls and says, this is all I want to do, I don't want to have a conversation – what I'm hearing is Marie's probably not the right person. If you're like, Hey, I want to fix this. I want to talk about this. I want to brainstorm. That seems to be the approach, right? Like let's solve the problems. Let's discuss it versus I have something I want to do. What's the best way to do it?
1: Yeah. I would say that most of the people, they don't realize that it has ripple effect. And so sometimes when we meet with someone, we did have a clinic that it was a, less than five years old clinic that a brand new building my client wanted to expand and she came to me and say hey the former architect told me that I could just expand on one side so I said okay but then we did the wish list and like the vision exercise and we found out that her vision was way more than just what the expansion the plan expansion was so At the end of the day, I said, "Hmm, can we take that step back and kind of, can I shake three a bit? And can I entertain other option? And I found out that we could expand on three sides of the building instead of just one. So I came to her with a plan saying, hey, we could get you your dream hospital. It just, we need to think outside of the box a bit. So... That client is the perfect example that if you're not open to other options, like for me, again, I'm having fresh eyes on your project. So I will see options and opportunities that you might not have entertained. So, yes, I do have some clients come to me and say, hey, I need to do this but then I'm just thinking a little bit. I'm like, mm, but have you thought about that? <laughs> and sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good option. And it's okay to have ideas. I do have some clients that really like the process and they want to be involved. And it's a fun thing because they want to understand and they want to be involved. It's just that for me, it's I do that for a living. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. One thing that I want to talk about is that for me, when I'm looking at those projects for existing clinic, I'm thinking about how we're going to sustain your clinic while we're doing your renos or your expansion. So that's one of the major key points. While I'm drawing something, I'm thinking, how in hell am I going to get this clinic to keep up running? Or how am I going to move the services around so that we're not going to shut down the clinic? So that's one important thing that As part of my thought process, when I'm looking at all the options, like when I talked to you about the feasibility study, like how will this have an impact on the clinic, on the revenue stream? So that clinic that I just told you about that we expanded on two sides instead of one we've decided that we're going to relocate them into a temporary modular into the parking lot so that we can get the expansion done faster. And then I'm not going to affect our revenue stream. So I'm creating a temporary hospital in the parking lot. So that way we can get the clinic expended to, I think we're starting from 3000 square feet and we're close to seven and a half at the end. So we need to think about the outside of the box sometimes and, For her, that's the solution. I'm going to spend, I don't know how much on temporary modular, but she has now three exam room. I'm going to get her to five in the modular and to seven in the end. So you see that revenue increase. I'm not going to affect her revenue because she's going to have the same surgery suite, the same treatment area, the same everything. But at the end of the day, she's going to have a bigger clinic and like not affect too much of the revenue of the of the of her running clinic so yeah it's very complex like when we're looking into a live environment we need to think about a lot of things but i love that it's like a puzzle for me
0: totally so you personally what are the lessons you've learned since that first meeting call it 10 years ago right you walk in, hey, you're the one that can speak English. You end up, scrap their stuff. My stuff's better. Let me tell you why. You know, you need to go with my idea, right? What have you learned? Like, as you've grown a business, you've obviously had a kiddo, like all these different things, right? So like lots of life has I happened. I had two kiddos. Two kiddos, okay.
1: My second son was three weeks old when he came for his first site visit. I canceled the meeting the day I gave birth. And I was like, I'm sorry, I just, <laughs> I'm just i in the hospital. I think that's fair. I cannot fair. come today. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think what I've learned is that I have the most amazing team. I have a bunch of very driven person in my team that I really love. I tell them like every day but also that I don't even own a pet. Like it's weird. To, like yeah, we do that. Like we're very passionate about the industry. I do have small children, so for now it's plenty. But I really do that for the people. Like what I've learned is that the vet med People are, I love them. Like, I love the people in vet med. I love the passion. I love how they're driven. And I want to help them. Sometimes when I do meet with a client that they have poor environment, like very low ceiling. I I have one of my vets, she's like six foot three. And she had like seven foot ceiling beams in her to get into surgery. So I was like, oh my God, when can I get you out of that space? I'm like, I feel responsible for their well-being while we do this project. So what I've learned is that it's an industry that needs attention in a good way. They need better environment. They need better space. They need a space that takes care of them in a way that they feel nurtured when they go to work and they feel empowered. So that's what I want to give them. But yeah, I learned a lot of things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So... I didn't preface this, but any guest that comes on the show can always ask me a question. So you, full range of anything you want to ask. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but is there any yeah, question or I anything you want to ask? Yeah, but I do have a ask? question. Sure.
1: How do you prepare your clients for an expansion financially? Because most of them are linked, like the clinic is linked to their personal finance. 100%. Like, yes, the clinic is doing some money, but like personal finance is a huge part of their... How can they be better prepared? What can they put... Towards,
0: Yeah. So you think about it from, let's say, hey, here are all my assets. So the business itself is probably likely their first or second biggest asset. What's next? If they own the real estate, it's probably the next thing, right? So those are two things from a financial planning perspective that should be, hey, top of the stack as far as conversations. And that's the way that we approach it. And so it's trying to understand going back with what you just talked about, right? When I was like, hey, this seems similar to how we do it. What do you want this to end up being? What are you trying to solve for? And do you want this to then be something in the future that, you know, from the building perspective could be an investment property, right? So I'm going to retire. I'm going to sell it to, you know, either a private individual, corporate, another outside investor, because there's a lot of demand for veterinary real estate. And I've had some of those folks on the podcast, but sometimes the veterinary real estate can be worth way more than the clinic. And that sometimes seems crazy. And it can even be a well-run business itself, but the real estate, in the environment we're in right now, right, is still highly, highly sought after because you have an anchor, you have a great tenant. You have someone that doesn't want to leave. You have someone that's going to pay their bills. That's going to be good for other businesses in the area. So like, it's something that as an investor, they want that. So I look at, do they want to own this longer term? What are we trying to solve for? And there's nothing wrong with leasing a space the entire time. And you say, I just want to run my business because those are two separate things. Do you want to own real estate? And do you want to own a business? Those are two separate businesses, but those are both things that I highly, highly encourage. I think makes sense. If you can get what you want and it makes sense from a financial perspective, and that goes back to the, it depends. And I know everyone hates that. <laughs> what if? Yeah. Well, it's just like you we were joking before, right? You're like, square foot. Don't ask me about square foot, right? Because it, it depends <laughs> if I'm in Austin, Texas or Noblesville, Indiana, or if I'm in yeah. Miami or if I'm in Bismarck, <laughs> South Dakota, right? Like square footage is going to be very different in all those environments. So please- It's tough. It's the same thing with, hey, is this a really good deal to buy this or rebuild a freestanding building and spend $2 million? It could be a great, great opportunity. Or it could be like, wow, that's insane. There's no way that you're ever going to make that float. And I think this could jeopardize everything else you have going on.
1: And sometimes it's a development opportunity. I do have some clients that we build bigger than the clinic or we build apartment above or we build, like you said, we can split the clinic from the building. The building is, it's hard to find a spot that is ready for um, a veterinary space. It, we were joking that restaurants are making the, like I'm taking restaurant and I'm turning them over into vet clinic because they have the services, they have the bag, they have all those services are bigger than a normal kind of office space, but. It's interesting when you look at in terms of investment, most of my new builds, we split the building from the clinic so that the owner can hold on to it longer and it's an investment instead of just being an expense. And there's some markets that it's hard to own. Like even if you want to own a building downtown New York, I'm not sure it's going to happen. So there's some market that is just impossible to own something, some rural space we see more and more clinic owning their lands but sometimes you can build on what you have or you, you don't need to actually to like it's really important to take that step back and to think about what are your options and what's the best for your current situation the vet industry talks a lot like the ask question <laughs> and you probably know about it but we can take the knowledge from our peers but that special situation, both for your finance, personal finance, and your hospital, sometimes we need to look at it and think outside of the box for your special situation. So yes, maybe your friend from, I don't know, California had this or did that, but it's not going to apply for rural Missouri or I don't know where else. (laughs) Sure.
0: I completely agree. No, it's a good question and I like it. So being put on the spot is a great one. Um, (laughs) As we close, where do people find out more? Where would you send them? And then is there anything else that you want to kind of leave listeners with?
1: We're on Instagram, Architects. We're on Facebook. We have a website that we're currently working on revamping, uh, planemall.ca. They can write to me or write to the team, hello at planemall.ca. And yeah, so I'll be working on a series of conferences upcoming next year, hospital design at Fetch. I'll be speaker there. So I'm very excited about that opportunity and feel free to reach out. Like I really, I like having those initial conversation. If someone is struggling with a decision, like we have a free intro call about 30 minutes with either me or someone from my team, just to brainstorm on your specifics for your project so that we can help you. Sometimes we do those calls and it's just to give you a kind of a push on where to go. Sometimes we don't hear back from you. Sometimes we hear back from you in two years. Sooner the better because, again, there's a bunch of things that can move in the industry and kind of move what you want to do. So the sooner, the better. We are working currently on projects that are going to be in 2024 and after. And yeah, don't forget that we have a waiting list. Most of our veterinary architect have waiting, our normal architect too, have a waiting list of a few months. So yeah, I would be very happy to help as many vets that I can just because I'm so passionate about them having better environment. So that's (laughs) it.
0: Perfect. Thank you for carving out the time. Great to connect and happy you're able to record.
1: Thank you for having me. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should now be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice.